Hey guys, Josh here. A few things before we begin the session. First off, this session is a long one. It is one of two parts on the topic of accountability, and I'm so thankful for my guests Bailey and Kennedy for opening up their church and allowing me to sit in with them and have a great talk on this awesome topic. I'm so thankful for their friendship, and I count it a joy to watch them grow as leaders as they lean in to better loving the people that God has called them to. This session was recorded in a small tile room, so the audio may not be on top of its game. Uh, this is a two-edged sword for making a podcast that's portable. Uh, hopefully it isn't too distracting for you. When I started the small group, it was a means of reaching a goal. I knew a few years back that attempting a podcast was something I wanted. COVID-19 came and plans went on hold. So when I developed the courage to follow through and do one episode, it was simply going to be just that, one episode. And while four episodes may not seem like much, it is much more than I anticipated doing. This is not a complaint. I really do enjoy it. However, finding time and creating consistency on top of family, ministry, and full-time job, it can be challenging to stay on top of things. I plan on making many more episodes, so please continue holding me accountable as I learn how to do this effectively. But the bottom line is, you're listening right now, and that means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're not a stranger. You're a friend. And this is your small group. everybody welcome back to the small group where community and christ collide my name is josh roberts and i am the leader of the small group and i am excited to be sitting here at Criola assembly hanging out with two of their ministers let me introduce both of you guys thank y'all so much for being a part of this first we got mr bailey moore uh, who is student minister here at Crayola Assembly. And then we have Kennedy Moore. I almost said Kennedy Barnett, but it's not. <laughs> Kennedy Moore, who who does, he, you assist in uh, the, the student ministry, but you also lead worship here for the church, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm so thankful to have you guys hanging out. It's, it's so cool to uh, have you guys involved on the podcast, especially, you know, Bailey, having having the opportunity as a youth minister myself to have seen you grow up as a student and, and just interacting with a lot of the students that we were doing ministry with back in the day. And then Kennedy having that brief season where I got to, you know, see you grow as a young adult and and walk into a marriage together, which that's huge. I'm so excited that, you know, for what God's doing in your marriage uh, and, and getting the honor of being a part of that process. Um, yeah, a big part of that process. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but being able to see you guys just, man, just walk in obedience, it, it's encouraging. So before we even get started, I just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of that and getting get to witness it. It's really honor. Yeah, well, thank you for having us here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are doing um, a really cool two-part series. Uh, and this was actually something, um, Bailey, that you recommended. Uh, you came to me about it and you said, hey, this would be something that's needed in, in this. And I, I completely agree. Uh, we're we're going to be talking specifically about accountability. 
Um, we're going to spend two sessions talking about accountability. Uh, before we dive in to um, where these two sessions are going to go, I wanted to take a minute and talk about that word, accountability, outside the context of, of faith and Christianity. What is accountability? Um, and, and I'm just reading directly off of what was online uh, right here from Webster's online. It says accountability is the quality or state of being accountable, which is kind of not really giving a whole lot of information. It's an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions uh, public officials lacking accountability is an example that it gives. So like taking responsibility. In fact, as I looked up synonyms, to be accountable is to be answerable, liable, and responsible. So just in your own words, outside the context of faith, what does it mean to be a person who is accountable to something? I think it just comes down to um taking responsibility of one's own actions, you know, um, you know, being able to take ownership and responsibility of what you do and recognizing that what you do has consequences, whether those consequences are on yourself um, or on others, being able to, you know, recognize the consequences of your actions and being able to take responsibility for those things and take ownership in how you affect yourself and others in your actions. Yeah, absolutely. I think being a reliable person, being someone that's uh, dependable upon your actions, knowing that um, what you say is what you're going to do is a big part of it. Being, um, what's that word? The word where you do what you do in private. Integrity. There we go. That's a great word right there. Absolutely. Ha having integrity, like the, the same person you are behind closed doors is the same yeah. person you are in front of everybody. Absolutely. I was looking actually a step further uh, into that idea of being a, a person that's accountable. And uh, I just wanted to share before we got started on the, the topic of tonight. This was uh, by MindTools.com. It was six steps to be an accountable person. And I thought they were just really solid for, for just general life principle. It says uh, the first step is know your role. So that's understanding your responsibilities to be accountable for, understanding what you are responsible for. Uh, so know your role. Number two, be honest, set your pride aside. Number three is be willing to say, I'm sorry. If something has gone wrong and you're responsible, be the one that's willing to apologize. Uh, number four, use your time wisely. If you're going to be a person that is deemed accountable, you're a person that wants to use their time wisely and manage it well. Uh, number five, don't overcommit. I personally can, can see sometimes where I do that a lot. And whenever I overcommit, I find myself falling short on the things I agree to. And thus, it can lead to me being viewed as someone who's not accountable. And then number six, and I think this is huge, I live by number six on this, reflect. I believe in everything I do, I, it's an opportunity for me to stop, reflect, and ask myself, okay, this was done, I, I did the best I could, I can look at this in, in retrospect and ask, what should I have done different? How can I improve? How can I grow? Because if, I, if I'm not willing to look at the things I do, and question how I can move forward, then all I'm going to do is plateau. I'm going to kind of be, you know, just, uh, it's not really rising to a standard. It's, it's 
basically lowering the standard to myself and I don't want to do that. Right. Uh, uh, going, going to, you know, that, that topic of, of reflection, I think that is something that I should have mentioned in my definition of accountability when you asked me is a, a big part of having accountability and being accountable is self-awareness yeah, and, yeah, and rec- yeah. recognizing, you know, what it is that you're doing, what you've done and, you know, being aware of like kind of going back to what I said, you know, how you affect yourself, how you affect others. Self-awareness is huge with accountability because if you're not even aware of maybe your shortcomings and you're not reflecting on those and, you know, how, how you can change and adapt to be better and honor God more in your life, if you don't have that self-awareness, then you're never going to be somebody who's accountable. So, so let's talk a little bit about where we're going. That's just a general overview of what does it mean for one to be accountable? And I think ultimately the bottom line is you're taking responsibility. You're accepting responsibility for the actions and, and even the, the response or the things that come about because of the actions. In a religious context, in a spiritual context, uh, what we've discussed uh, collectively is that we believe when we view accountability, we can look at it in two different ways. First of all, there's personal accountability, which we look at as your the accountability you maintain within yourself, uh, taking self-responsibility in different ways uh, for, for things that you're, you're going through, things you're facing. And then aside from that, the second way to view it is partnered accountability, or as we in the faith would call it, we call accountability partners having an external source that holds us to a standard, that encourages us, motivates us along, doesn't let us settle for that substandard. So that's actually what we're gonna be talking about for these two sessions, is we're gonna be talking about personal accountability, that accountability of self, and then we're gonna be talking about the uh, partnered accountability or what it means to have others influence us and hold us accountable. For this session, starting now, we're, we're actually going to dive in a deep look at personal accountability. What am I doing myself to hold myself to a standard, to have that accountability within myself, not being reliant on an outside source, but really maintaining it internally? And that's where we're going to be going today. With that, that self-reflection, that self-awareness, where it really kicks in in your personal accountability. So the first question we set forth that that we want to discuss, what does personal accountability look like for Christians today based on your observations? Because obviously every person handles how they internalize things, how they process these things. How, How does personal accountability, a person's own accountability, look for Christians today? Just to be honest, there's there's not really a whole lot of it going around. There's a major lack in personal accountability in the church today. And I think it, it does come down to a, a lack of self-awareness, um, but but mostly a, a lack of self-reflection in ourself and our own actions. You know, I think uh, I think a lot of the times when, when we hear personal accountability, which uh, to be honest, we're not hearing about it often enough, but, but when it does get brought up, most of us, you know, most of us Christians, it's, it's easy for us to think about, you know, the people who lack personal accountability, we think about the people who, well, they're, they're hitting the bars on Friday night and they're in church on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people who are living the, the obvious double lifestyle. But what about all the people in the church who maybe aren't living the obvious double lifestyle? 
but they're still lacking the spirit-filled lifestyle where they're walking by the spirit yeah, and definitely. they're and they're truly walking out their faith. You know, it's it's so easy for Christians in the church to just point to the blatant and not focus on the minor, but the minor is the majority. The the yeah. people with the with the minor problem and the minor problem with personal accountability make up a mass of the congregation and we're focused on the two or three people who come to church on Sunday mornings and they also are in bars on Friday nights. But that's not even our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is the fact that a majority of our congregation is missing the mark because they have lowered that standard for personal accountability and what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, I think today a lot of the things in um, in Christians today about accountability is they're not really worried about it. They're more worried about um, prosperity Christianity or um, coming to church as a social gathering or a job instead of um, a relationship and an encouragement to build a relationship. Like it's just something to check off their list and to busy their time rather than taking a moment to be still and really ask God, okay, where do I need to meet you? Um, and I think I do see that today also. There are a lot of people that I have witnessed that will just be still and just be honest with God and just say, God, this is where I'm at. Where do you want me to move next? And then they'll come to others and be like, this is what I've been stuck in. This is what I've been led to do. Um, And just being open and honest and coming forward before being asked to just come forward and tell people where they're at. Um, so that they can let the church know where they're at personally instead of just hanging out and waiting for it to be found out, you know? There's several examples that we can kind of point to with how, you know, people in the church are are lacking that personal accountability. There's, there's several examples that we can bring up of people groups in the church, and, you know, I'll kind of, you know, go through them just a little bit to kind of maybe kind of open our eyes to the magnitude of how we're lacking in personal accountability. So the first people group, you know, you, you have those people who, you know, they come to church every time the doors open, you know, they're, they're regular members. They're, they're, they're always there. They're, they're church people, you know, they're there every time the doors open, but they can't stay out of the gossip anytime it's brought up, you know, so, so they're present and they're active, but they're not living apart from that gossip. You know, they're, they're not abstaining from it. They're, they're engaging in it and they're actually looking for it. And then you have those, those same, that kind of like that same people group, you know, the, the people who are constant church members, they, they come to church all the time, but yet they have an attitude of pride and pettiness in their life. And it's one of those things where, yeah, they're not going to bars. Yeah, they're not robbing banks, but They've got this attitude of pride and arrogance to the point where when they're having arguments with people, instead of thinking, you know, okay, how, how can I view this in, in, a, in a way of compassion? How can I try to like meet this person where they're at and recognize that maybe they're going through something that I'm not seeing and try to show compassion and try to show, you know, a, a importance in my heart for Christian unity? Instead, they're more focused on protecting their egos and boosting their pride and proving their point through that, uh, through that interaction. And what the people don't realize is what they have actually become in the process of being prideful and turning up their noses people is they are now the modern-day Pharisees. 
Wow, yeah. So we, we see a lot of that in the church, and it's common. That's the, that's the thing. It's, it's common, and it's, it's right there in front of us, and we see it all the time. That's that person that's like, I've done my weekly obligation. I've come to church. I've checked the box, and I, I don't know what else you expect of me kind of mindset. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we, we all we see that a lot. And, and then, you know, like I, I, could, I could go to a, a different aspect of, you know, people who come to church, and, and they're involved, right? So, so these people are heavily involved in the church. They, they serve, they're active, they're involved, and they're good people. You know, so these are the people who may be um, falling in the sin or having that attitude of pride and arrogance is not so much an issue in their life because these are good people. You know, they, they're, they're, going to, they're going to church. They're, when, you, when you see them, you know, they, they show love to people. You know, they're, from what we can see, that they're probably going to heaven. There's no reason why we would think they're not going to heaven. Every time you get in the car, they've got worship music playing, but they haven't opened up their word in six months. They don't have an active prayer life with God. They're, they're missing that relationship with God. They're missing the, the pursuit of God. And so even though they're good people, even though they're active in the church and they're bearing some fruit, they're not watering themselves. They're not watering their spirit. They're not pursuing God to build themselves up so that they can be used better for the kingdom. So they have a, a lack of accountability because they're not they don't have a spirit of responsibility to do things for the kingdom they're, they're lacking accountability in their responsibility to reach people would you say that a person in that standard has created a standard of accountability on their own terms rather than what scripture has called us to i don't even know if i would say it's on their own terms but it's just uh, what's become the cultural norm wow. and what they what they have seen either growing up or what they have seen in the environment around them. Um, instead of looking at the book, you know, the Bible, <laughs> instead of looking at the book and trying to follow Jesus, they follow the culture around them, and they are missing the mark on what it is to truly be a follower of Jesus. Instead, they're just good church people who serve. But By what the what what culture has defined a good church person to be? Exactly, they're they're good you, yeah. church people. Not follow. They're not you know followers of Jesus to the point where, you know, they would give up everything to go follow Jesus. Where they would you know, f for example, I, I'm reminded of the the scripture where the the man wanted to follow Jesus and he was like, but but let me bury my father first. And he was like, let the dead bury the dead. You know, you yeah. just come drop everything and follow me. You know, there's not that that spirit of urgency to to reach the lost at all costs. You know, we're we're kind of we've reached the point where we're focused on serving the church in a way that's still comfortable to us. Instead of in a way that is looking out for the best interest of those who were without us, not hearing the gospel, and not making it to heaven. Yeah, I think a big part of people in that category is that they are just set in their own comfortable ways to where they don't feel the need to step outside of what they already put into their relationship with God, what they already put into the church. They're just like, I'm here, I'm doing what I need to, and um, if you ask for more, sorry, you're not going to get it because that's not, not what I have to do. You know what I mean? It's just, I'm here to check my boxes and uh, if you ask for more, how you know, almost a how dare you ask for more type mentality because I've already given 
you know, an hour of my time this week. And, and you know, and, and even even the people who who don't even have a bad attitude, they have good attitudes, but they're just it's not a priority. You know, like they're they're genuinely good people. We, we see it all the time. These people who are, you know, good people in the church and, you know, they, they care, you know, about serving and they, they want to serve and 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 love on others. They, they really do. But they're only going to make time for so much because it's just not a priority for them to go beyond that. They'll say, oh, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really called to, to reach the lost at, at my workplace. You know, like, uh, I'm, I'm not called to, to, to preach a sermon. The, that's, that's the pastor's job. He, he's supposed to be getting people and saving them. And, and the pastor is thinking, well, I'm, no, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm equipping you to go out into the mission field and, and bring them here. I'm, I'm discipling you to reach the lost. And they're thinking, well, he's the pastor. He's supposed to get the lost. He's, he's supposed to be the fisherman. And so now the pastor's trying to disciple them to reach the lost. They're looking to the pastor because it's his job to reach the lost. So there's this now, there's this disconnect, this miscommunication where one's expecting something from the other. And now the lost aren't getting reached the way that we were called to do it in the Bible. The way that Jesus told us to do it. I think uh, one of the things we're guilty of in that regard, especially in, in churches in the South, we're really good about making a church pastor centric to the point. I'm not saying we shouldn't respect those in leadership. Please don't think I'm saying that. But what I am saying is, I think we've made church so much about a figure. And, and I mean, you even think of like Christian, I hate to say it like this, but Christian pop culture, there are those speakers that everyone knows that are world-renowned speakers that have a gift at, at just just speaking. They're, they're orders. They're, they're, they're gifted at communicating. Churches can dangerously make what they do about the figurehead rather than about being the body we, we dangerously make it about what we do together in this building instead of we are the bride of Christ. And because we miss out on the, the perspective of us collectively as the bride, we're not being obedient. We're, we're, we have created the standard of obedience that never was meant to exist. We've assigned obedience as come to church serve in a small group, go to the, the midweek Bible study and um, tell other people to come. And that's what we have labeled being a good Christian right. as. You know, a, another people group that I think of that, that struggle with accountability in the church, uh, it's unfortunately a, a glaring fact that I think a lot of us, you know, you know, some of us are starting to learn about it now because the statistics are out there, but this might be news for a lot of people, is the fact that, um, you know, so many of our church leaders are bound in the chains of sin. And, I, and I'll just throw out a, a statistic. Um, a study was done um, by Christian psychology researchers in 2020, and that study showed that 68% of men, these are men in the church, 68% of men and over 50% of pastors in the church today view pornography on a regular basis and you know it's it's the very people that that we're looking up to they're bound in the sexual sin and it's not because they're bad people 
It's not because they don't have a relationship with God. It's not because they're not doing great things for the kingdom. It's because of a lack of personal accountability in the church today and a personal accountability in their lives. And, and it's, that's just a, another way where personal accountability in the church today has reached a point where so many of our church leaders who are supposed to be leading and directing us are fighting a battle of sin on their own, a battle of addiction. And, you know, it, it goes beyond just this, but, but pornography is just a, a major one that can point to with statistics and, and show just how prevalent it is in the church today. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, being shameful of it and having the pride factor of I don't want to um, admit that I'm in the sin because I am someone that people look to for answers or look up to to see how you live a Christian lifestyle. I think it's a big part of I can't admit my sin because I have to be perfect when that's not what we're called to be. We're called to pursue Christ and lead people to him. Um, and there was only one perfect person. And I think a lot of people put the standard as a leader, like you all, you are called higher, but, and you are going to be judged more harshly. But I think the thing is people confuse that as I have to be perfect. And so they're locked in this cycle of shame, locked in the cycle of pride where they don't confess. They don't come to their brothers and sisters and say, this is what I'm struggling with because there's a fear that if I do, I might lose it all or I might um, be ridiculed by my church family. And yeah, maybe that will happen in some cases, but in a correct church environment, whenever you come and hold yourself accountable by sharing that with your peers, sharing that with um, those that you trust, um, they're supposed to lift you up, supposed to help you through it. And you shouldn't be afraid that they're um, going to shun you for it. Right. I think, uh, I think a, very important distinction right here is, um, you know, they're, they're bound in that sin. You know, there, there's so many leaders in the church that are, that are bound in some type of, you know, terrible sin that that's an addiction in their life. And it's something that's, you know, overtaking their life. Um, and like Kennedy was saying, you know, that, that shame holds them back. Um, so that the shame of their sin has them hide their sin, hide it in such a way where, you know, that they just keep covering it up. And, you know, that it's covered up and it's covered up and it's covered up and they're hiding it and it's only affecting me. And it gets to the place where it never gets resolved. It never gets corrected because their shame is now the handcuffs that the enemy has used to put them in that place where they can no longer recover because they're bound by shame. They're bound by their sin in a place where they can't get out of it, even though they're called to get out of it. As leaders in the church, they they have to get out of that place, but instead their shame has now bound them in that place where they can't uh, get out of there and they can't gain that freedom. A couple of things that I have down that, that are kind of in that same regard are, um, I think that there are many believers today that kind of fit in, in three different common areas. One thing is I, I really feel like we have believers today that are really good at blaming others rather than taking responsibility. It's kind of that mindset of, well, I, I know that I shouldn't have done this, but you know what? The people that said they were going to be there for me, um, they didn't do it. They didn't call. You have people that get upset with the church and you ask like, what, we've missed you. Where have you been? And they're like, well, I was sick and nobody, no one reached out to me. Nobody cared. They, they blame others rather than taking up responsibility themselves. Right. They're not. They're not taking that 
personal responsibility, but instead they're passing off the blame. Another thing that we're really good at doing is um, comparing to others rather than rising to the task. We'll look at our lives and um, kind of like you said, Kennedy, we'll, we'll kind of approach it with the, uh, the, the everybody else might be looking at it in that mindset of perfection and we'll be the ones to quickly say, I'm not perfect or this situation was not perfect but it was okay. It wasn't that bad. And I honestly, Bailey, I think that kind of fits really dangerously into the realm of pornography because, because people can quickly look at pornography and say, well, I'm watching this when no one else is around. It's not involving anybody else. It's not hindering or hurting anyone else that I know of. Uh, even though we can go into how the porn industry is destroying the people's lives that are involved in it, but that's that's another topic on its own. The, the bottom line is they write it off as it's not as bad as what they're doing over here. Right. And we compare ourselves and what, we're, what our sin is and our struggles, and because it's in our head, not on the same level, it's as if we're saying it's not, I, I mean, it's not a big deal. Um, and, and a couple things from Scripture, just to, to reiterate that, uh, Jesus said himself in, in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Uh, it was as if to say, this is the one who does the will of the Father. So um, it's Jesus this bluntly saying, just because you claim me and you verbally are saying you have a relationship with me or that you believe in me, that mindset is not good enough. And that ties to this thought because people that, that go through that mindset of comparison, they're like, well, it's not as bad as them. But Jesus is saying, no, there's a simple standard. Either you have a relationship with me and you're not pursuing sin, period, or, or you're chasing after the world. There's, there's like no middle ground there. Mary and Martha, you look at them in scripture and, and Mary was um, sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is like cleaning the house because Jesus is there. She looks at, at Jesus with respect and uh, wants it to be presentable. And she's not doing a bad thing necessarily. She's, she's really trying to be a good host. But Jesus says what Mary's doing is what she's supposed to be doing, and that's being at my feet right here. But still, Martha had to go through the trouble of comparison. She's not doing the same as me. Therefore, it's not good enough. Or what I'm doing is great compared to the person who's doing infinitely less. It's so unfortunate, the, the spirit of comparison, how it's affecting the church, because we really, that spirit of comparison is defeating us in, in the worst way. Because we flip that comparison in two different ways in the church that the enemy is using it so so well against us as believers. So, for example, in the spirit of comparison, like you said, with personal accountability, we look at people who are, you know, doing the blatant, doing the obvious. Like like I mentioned earlier with that first people group, the one that we all know who's going to bars all the time, and you know they 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 go to church on Sundays, but obviously their lifestyle is so clearly not following Jesus. Okay, everybody's looking to that. And that's their standard for well, I'm I must, I'm doing okay though, because they're looking to the blatant, to the yeah. obvious, to the to the worst of the worst, and that's the standard that they say, oh well, then I must be, I'm doing okay. I mean, at least I'm yeah. not doing that. Instead of looking to the people who 
they respect the most in their life. Instead of looking to the people who have the fruits of the Spirit uh, evident in their life, instead of thinking, oh, I need to be more like them because they're truly in pursuit. So that's what I need to strive to be. I need to strive to be better. Instead, we look at the worst and think, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. So that's one way that the spirit of comparison is defeating us is in a lack of accountability. And then the other way that the spirit of um, comparison is defeating us is in a lack that we're not worthy. Because we'll look at people who are more gifted, who are more talented, those mega preachers, like you said, and we'll say, well, I could never reach somebody like how they reach somebody. Or even our own pastors, you know, well, well, he's he's a man of God. He's somebody who's called to reach people for the kingdom. And they look at them and think that they're not worthy to reach the lost. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. When in fact, God has you a, a plan for your life. He has appointed you to reach the lost. You, you are called to go and make disciples of all nations. You're not called to just sit in a pew on Sundays and Wednesdays. You are called to reach the lost. So the spirit of comparison is being, it's almost like a double standard the way it's being used, but the enemy is using it that way to defeat us as Christians, and we are just falling for it in in, in the, the biggest way, in the fullness way that it can be. Yeah, and I think another way is um, whenever we catch ourselves in that comparison of, well, I'm doing this, but at least it's not this bad, or... Um, I'm doing this, but it's not, it's better than this person going and getting drunk every weekend. Like, I think the thing is, is whenever they're hiding in that sin, giving themselves excuses, they don't realize that the more that they uh, give their self excuses, the more that they're letting it fester, the more that they're saying, um, I'll do it today, but tomorrow I'll get better. or I'll do it today. Or in a month, I'll start getting my act together. The more that they do that, the more that it festers, the more that um, it just grows and seeps out because they don't realize that eventually it will come to light. It will affect the people around you because not only are you sitting in your sin, not doing anything about it, but in that way, it changes you. For me, for example, like in school, I would listen to music that I should not have been listening to that had cuss words or bad um you know, just topics in it. And I noticed in my life, it made me more of a negative person, more prone to say, oh, well, this is okay, because at least it's not doing that. And with me as a leader, I was allowing other people to believe that, well, at least it's not that. And I was, you know, being a stumbling block for them because, well, at least you're not getting drunk every weekend, you know, if you're just telling a lie to your teacher, you know? And so it just festers and it just, it changes who you are, um, holds like, just neglects the spirit in a way of not allowing him to bear fruit in your life. Whenever you may be a leader in the church and you just festering in the sin, like people, like (laughs) the Holy Spirit will not allow your sin to um, be in the same spot as his fruit. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that they are separating themselves. They are changing. They, um, are being known in their sin and they're just like i'll just keep it yeah say that again real quick the holy spirit will not allow the sin to be in the same place as his fruit that's good thank you oh good (laughs) that wasn't me (laughs) but it's good it's a good it's a good thought process you know that you know if we're man man that's good (laughs) (laughs) just that mindset though of like you know it's it's common sense if we're walking in the spirit that's i mean that's the biggest thing is if we're walking in the spirit then that sin we would be bearing the fruit 
not maintaining the sin. The third area that I saw that uh, we're, we're really good at, and it's kind of like the inverse of comparison, but we're really good at modeling others rather than setting a standard. And uh, really, as I thought through this, uh, I couldn't help but think about, especially in the role of pastors, because pastors are put on that higher standard, a lot of people will try to emulate or, or model what they see of a Christian doing it well, if that makes sense. It's a dangerous place because it's not necessarily a bad thing when you see a good leader or someone that's modeling it well. It's not a bad thing to say, well, I see what they're doing for success. They're they're devoting themselves to prayer. They're devoting themselves to the word. That's the, the kind of model that I want to follow. That's the kind of standard I want to rise to. But Anytime we set the standard to anything less than Christ, we can expect everything less than Christ. Yeah. Um, Jesus is, should be the standard, and what, what the Word says regarding um, following God, is, that's the standard. Uh, Jesus said directly in Scripture, if you love me, keep my commands. Yeah. It, it's as simple as that. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. So in our faith... Rather than trying to model those that we admire and look up to, we should be looking to the standard of Scripture and letting our life make that the standard. Yeah, I think a huge thing is um, a lot of people see ministry or successful ministry as um, an image of success or an image of likability, and they want that in their own lives because people want to be liked, people want to be admired, and as long as they're seen as successful, they've hit their mark, they've hit their goal, um, rather than saying that this might work for this pastor, this might work at this mega church, but this will not, like sometimes this will not work for my community. This won't work for my small town, but they try to enforce that because they believe that this will um, skyrocket our church because the numbers are there here. But um, not everything is meant for the every community. Not everything um, is meant for specific people, but also we're not called to ministry to be likable. We're called to ministry to spread truth. And whether that be, um, having a mega church or, you know, dressing fashionable to have people come in or having, um, you know, more hymn style music on a Sunday morning, like we're not all called to play the same script. We're all called to reach people in the way that God has led us. And I think a lot of the thing is, is nobody is willing to hear where God is leading us to lead and how he's leading us, you know? So in light of what we see personal accountability looking like today in Christians, let's talk about what it should look like, because it's easy to define what we see commonly, but let's talk for a minute about what should it looked like for there to be a Christian who has personal accountability, taking on that responsibility themselves and, and just that walk. What does that look like? You know, as I mentioned earlier, when you asked um, what does personal accountability look like in the church today, I said, well, to be honest, there's not a lot of it going around. It's, it's not really evident in the church today in, in most cases. So, uh, my answer to that would just be, you know, to the question, what should personal accountability look like for a Christian in the church today? What should it look like? It should be visible. 
I mean, personal accountability should be visible. It should be evident in your life by how you live your life. It should be obvious and it should be apparent. Um, you know, I'm reminded of a, a scripture in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when we see that, we, we see that the, the Spirit is opposed to the flesh. So when we walk with uh, when we walk by the Spirit, we begin to walk out of the desires of the flesh. As we're pursuing God, we're starting to leave sin behind us because it's through our pursuit that we escape the sin that was once binding us. And that's how we gain that personal accountability in our life by walking by the Spirit. It, it goes on to say in Galatians 5, it, I mean, it, I love the Word of God because it, it spells it out so plainly for us and it makes it so simple to follow. Like you could read that verse and somebody could find a way to, to twist that or miss what they're talking about there. But the Word of God is so, you know, point blank here because it goes on to say in Galatians uh, 5.19 and, and, and continued, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, this is important, everyone needs to hear this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big one. Will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're walking in those things. If that is a common part of your lifestyle, you're missing heaven. I, I just want to point that out. Um, but but then it continues. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. So right there, you know, as I was saying, you know, it, it lists all those sins. It lists all those things that are, you know, following the flesh. Lists them out plainly for you. And it talks about how the people who followed the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it goes on in the end and it says, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So we put those things to death in our life. They're, they're no longer alive in our life because we're walking out of those. And you might think, well, that just seems like a like such a difficult battle to put those things to death because I've got this addiction right now and it's just overwhelming me. Well, the thing is, is when you get in pursuit of the Spirit, when you start walking by the Spirit, the battle all of a sudden becomes much more obtainable. The victory in that, uh, in that battle is now something that you can achieve because you're walking by the Spirit and the Spirit is giving you the strength to achieve it. Um, I think what it should look like is whenever you give your life to Christ, for example, um, there should be an obvious change. Like, for example, we've had students where they were in a life of partying and drinking and just in a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be in, but then they give their life over to Christ. And then you see them coming in the doors every Wednesday, wanting to be there all the time, asking hard questions, asking, how do I pursue God? How do I pray? How do I read the Bible and understand what it says? So an obvious change, an obvious change in desire. You know, as 
as I was getting ready for this podcast and I was trying to uh, prepare, I was trying to, you know, study and, um, you know, just, just learn more about this topic, personal accountability specifically. Um, I couldn't hardly find any material. I couldn't hardly find any sermons on it. You know, I, I couldn't find any type of like online material. And, and the reason why is because, you know, it's, it's just not popular. It, personal accountability is just not popular in the church today. It's just a, it's a mindset that people don't like to, you know, it doesn't get the hits on YouTube. It doesn't get the views. It doesn't get the likes. You know, um, we, you can find some stuff on accountability partners and being, you know, holding someone else accountable. You know, we, we like that. We like the idea of being an accountability partner for somebody else and helping them out of the junk in their life or, or someone else coming and pulling us out of the junk that's in our life. That is something that's more popular. The, those videos, they, they get the likes, they get the hits, you know, that's popular mindset. But when you make the shift of accountability partners to personal accountability, or dare I say, when, when you start to go from the milk to the meat, when you start to go to that spiritual maturity, um, you, you start to realize that it, it's about cleaning up the, the, the junk that's in your life yourself, yourself instead of somebody else doing it for you. That's a shift that all of a sudden becomes non-popular that people don't really want to hear about. Um, and you know, someone, someone might be listening to this and they may, they may say, well, 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 Pastor Bailey, uh, of course, you know, I, I don't find the idea of personal accountability and cleaning up the junk in my life, uh, to be a good view or to be popular. Of course, I don't think that's a good idea because it was my actions that put me in this place to begin here. So, um, you know, why is there anything that I can do that's going to change that? Well, see, the thing is, is you're still missing it because it's not you that's cleaning up the junk in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that's cleaning up the junk in your life in your pursuit of him. See, I'll go back to the scripture in, uh, in Galatians 5, 16 through 17, and it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. When we start walking by the Spirit, we start gaining the power that the Spirit blesses us with to overcome the flesh in our life, to overcome those desires. And the Spirit gives us the accountability to overcome those things in our life. And I think that's huge um, that we just neglect the power that the Holy Spirit brings when we are in pursuit. I, I think that uh, we are far too quick to say, this is my lot, this is how I do things, this is just who I am. And um, as Christians, one of the important things to remember is we should be sinning less today than we were yesterday. Right. It should be that mindset of, if I can identify these things, it's important that you said uh, that, that a person who is doing or walking in those works of the flesh, they won't inherit the kingdom. You could read through that list and it's easy for someone to say, man, I, I slipped up in this area. Does that mean that I'm, I'm ruled out? What does that mean for me? And the bottom line is that, that we have grace we have salvation, we have forgiveness, but that's for the one that pursues grace and that pursues 
salvation and forgiveness. If, if I'm literally just in passing, once again, just as scripture says, saying, Lord, Lord, I see who you are, that's, that's not enough. Uh, that, now, let me be clear. Scripture is very direct and, and speaks straightforward that salvation comes by, by confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart. It's, it's, through, it's through that act of pursuing Jesus. That's why we have the, the, the thief on the cross that, that we see he cried out to Jesus in that moment of death. And, and Jesus still identified to him that salvation was coming to him. Um, that being said, there should be an active pursuit. We should, we should want to crucify the very things that we realize were worthy of him being crucified for us. Right. Yeah. I, I can't help but jump to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It's a life verse for me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If I am giving God all of my trust rather than the confidence of everything else in the world, if I'm trusting him with everything I have and not leaning on the way I see things, but more so leaning on the way he has dictated things and trusting him and acknowledging him in everything I do, I can have confidence that he is going to lead me in a direction, that, that direction of personal accountability. I think it's important um, Bailey, you mentioned that you couldn't find anything on that topic. I think that's in part, yes, because it's not popular, but I think we've done a great job in the church at addressing elements of personal accountability. So for example, as ministers, we might put together a, a, a message that is aimed at the topic of the power of the tongue and how profanity isn't bringing glory to God and we'll line up the scripture and look at it with students and we'll help them understand this is what it means to glorify God with your mouth rather than letting obscenities come forth. Um, and that draws forth an element of personal accountability because it's challenging them to, okay, I need to be on guard and walk in the spirit so that I won't say these things. But the reality is we're not doing a, a solid enough job in saying, overall, you have a responsibility to, to be obedient, to pursue Jesus in obedience. It, it, there, there's an overarching responsibility more than just a singular thing. For sure. Um, you know, I, I, think to, uh, I think back to my life, I mean... Really, you know, uh, I, I was uh, addicted to pornography, like like most, you know, young men, um, especially it, today. You know, I, I was addicted to pornography, you know, through, you know, I wasn't in ministry at this point. Um, it was, uh, it was about three years ago now. It was, um, I remember it, it was a, a summer where God was moving in my life in, in a big way. And it was uh, in this summer, God called me to ministry. And I remember I, I, I stumbled upon the scripture in Galatians and, and you know, I had already been doing pretty good at not dabbling in, in pornography for a little bit. And then I found this scripture, you know, of, of Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, and I, and I started to realize that, you know what, the reason why I've been doing good is because I've been in such a heavy pursuit of the spirit. I've been in such pursuit of God and, and his goodness and his calling for my life that I, for one, I just don't really have time 
to, to be looking at that stuff. And then for two, I, I'm starting to lose the desire to be on that stuff. I mean, as someone who was addicted to it for, you know, probably a decade or maybe longer than a decade at that point, you know, someone who was completely a slave to that, a slave to that sin and, and could not overcome that sin, I all of a sudden had the strength to pull out of that and and never turn back to that. God gave me the strength to, to walk out of that because I was walking by the Spirit and with the Spirit dwelling within me and me being in pursuit of God, now I had the ability to walk out of that sin that had me bound for all those years. And, you know, I've never, never turned back ever since. It's something that I'm, you know, I conquered a major addiction in my life, the only addiction I ever had in my life, but it had me completely bound in sin for years and years. And I was able to conquer that because I started walking by the Spirit and the Spirit gave me the strength to overcome that. I'm really glad you said that because that actually leads us into the very last question. How are we missing the mark? We've identified what personal, personal accountability looks like. We've identified what it should look like. So now with that mindset, that's an area where you admit that, that you were missing the mark. You were realizing there wasn't a standard of accountability that you were following. So where, how are we missing the mark today? When I think about like, you know, how, how the church is missing the mark um, in, in the way that it's, that it's teaching us, you know, how to, uh, how to be Christians and the type of standard that we should live to. Um, one of the things is a, a big part of it, um, specifically when I think of like personal accountability in a way of overcoming sin, is uh, teaching truth on uncomfortable subjects. You know, I mean, to, to be honest, the, the pornography issue just in recent years became, you know, all of a sudden something that we could talk about in church. Because all those years, it was just something that was getting swept under the rug that, you know, nobody was talking about, but everybody was doing it. And it was something that wasn't even, you know, brought up. I remember, and the thing is, is if it's not brought up, no one even knows it's a sin. To to be honest, you probably don't remember this. You probably don't remember this at all. But, But way back, I'm talking way, way back when I was probably like 15, I came to church on a Sunday morning and uh, at, at you were the youth pastor. And at that point, um, with you being the youth pastor, I thought I knew my Bible pretty well because I grew up in private school. I grew up, uh, you know, going to a, a school that had Bible class every day. And I knew my Bible pretty well for a kid or so I thought. And um, I remember we were, uh, it, it was all guys. We were having Sunday school. And so we just kind of did like, a, basically we just kind of did a hangout and I felt like most of the time you weren't super structured with it. You were just kind of like talking to us about God, you know, on Sunday school. But it was an all-guys Sunday school. And maybe maybe it was structured. And then once we hit this topic, we went off the rails. All of a sudden, uh, a buddy who I came with asked a question about uh, pornography, but he asked it in a really vague way. And most people in the room didn't even know what he was talking about, but you knew exactly what he was getting at. And basically what he was getting at was if... I look at pornography if I'm, you know, engaging in in those activities, is that a sin? Is basically what he was getting at. And then so you realize since we were all guys, you know, let's just talk about this. This is a, a safe place where we could talk about these issues. And you were like, yes, it's a sin. And I remember I was thinking my initial response as someone who I thought knew the Bible pretty well, I was like, no, it's not a sin because you're not having sexual relations before marriage. So it's not a sin. And so it's not a sin. And you were like, 
Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> and then, and then you quickly pointed out, you know, what, why it's not biblical and why it is a sin against God to to view pornography and then engage in those activities. And then we we had a, a discussion about it. And for me, as like a fifteen year old at the time, I was completely my whole world changed because I had been doing that for years at that point and didn't even know it was a sin. I didn't even feel guilty about it. I just thought, oh, that's just a natural thing that you just do, you know? And, you know, like I said, it wasn't being brought up in the church, wasn't being taught about, and I had no idea that it was even a sin at that point in my life. It's it's good to hear that I actually did something of value. Now, I think that's important is... Um, you know, um, it probably was a, a random rabbit that we chased in that that time because I'm really good at chasing rabbits. But I think it's important. I think it's important to be honest and, and have those difficult conversations and talk about the things that um, are, are uncomfortable to talk about. And, and along with that, jumping back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the... Uh, the different types of people that we'll see in congregations come, the, those that are like the modern day Pharisees and things like that. I'll even go a step further to say, we are really good at, at sometimes preaching what we would deem uncomfortable topics while we're really dodging the ones that are uncomfortable to the congregation. Right. Like, being being active in the Baptist church, for example, you know, coming from a Baptist background, the Baptists love to eat. That's <laughs> I mean, that's what they're all about. They love yeah. some food, but you you won't walk in and, and hear a sermon on gluttony. You never often. will. You it never just will. won't happen. Why? Because that means the potlucks are damaged. Yeah. Right. Like, that means we gotta we gotta drop out of the uh, the chicken and dumplings a little bit. I guess <laughs> it, it's one of those things where we we will be quick. To, and, and I was really big about this, especially in youth ministry, um, the, the fact that there were a lot of ministries that were quick to tackle the topics of, of sexuality in youth ministry. And that's a big, important issue to, to tackle. But I think a lot of times we, we harp so hard on these topics that we think are hard to talk about that we breeze over the things that... Are, are so crucial and and um, most of the time are even damaging the body greater than these big astronomical sins. Yeah, so like, so prevalent too. We, we labeled the uncomfortable in the wrong way, I would say. Right. But but you're so right. Regardless, we are really good at dodging the things that. Is this going to cause our church attendance to drop because they yeah. don't want right. to come back right. after they hear me talk about this topic? You know, preaching truth on uncomfortable subjects, you know, and I'm thinking about the pornography issue, you know, like whenever I was a youth student back back then. And now, since then, we've probably we've probably gained like three or four more super uncomfortable issues that are that wasn't even a thing when I was a youth student. You know, you got like the that obviously, you know, like the we just ended pride month you know you got the lgbtq community that is being celebrated right now and back then it wasn't celebrated like that not not on the scale that it is now where it's so mainstream um you know so that's grown and becoming more and more of a problem um and so that that's one thing but and something that wasn't even a thing back then really was the the transgender movement and and going in in that whole route as you know 
defining, you know, what, what, a what is a man and what is a woman and changing that type of, you know, uh, basic biology for, for kids today who are going to grow up without those same foundational core beliefs of, of what a man is and what a woman is and that God created you just the way you are, that he didn't make a mistake in his creation of you. I mean, you know, there, there's so many things that are brand new and so many challenging topics that are really uncomfortable that are brand new. And, you know, like you said, you talked about, you know, preaching on uncomfortable topics when it's going to uh, possibly change your church attendance. Well, what about, um, you know, if as a youth pastor, you know, with these kids are dealing with these brand new issues, if you have, um, if half of your youth students are kind of facing those battles in the LGBTQ and transgender and all that type of stuff, and you kind of know how they are, will you have the boldness to preach the Word of God for the truth that it is, or are you going to kind of gloss over something because you don't want to lose half your students, you know? Or, or how are you going to address that? And I think a big part of that is the biggest, most important part in how you address that is, yes, to teach truth, but most importantly, to listen to the Spirit mm-hmm. and and really lean into the Spirit and and spend time in prayer. God, God how how will you have me address this? How, how can I make a big impact in these students' lives in a way where we can actually see them redeemed from this, where we can actually see life change, where we can actually see the Spirit come and truly turn their life upside down and shift their focus completely to pursuing you instead of pursuing the, uh, the, the new fad of the world? I think a big thing is um, we're scared in ministry to talk about those topics because we're scared of being a killjoy or are scared of um, the student not being able to talk about these things because we've ridiculed what they're interested in or ridiculed what they live by. And I think the thing is, is we need to remember that um, they need this truth, but they don't need to be ridiculed and shut down. They need to be told in truth and in love that um, this is what God has called us to. And if this is a battle that you're struggling with, we are here to help you through it. We're not here to shun you, to put you down for it. We're here to tell you the truth, and we're here to lead you in a loving way to um, pursue Christ and turn away from the worldly things um, today. I would say, you know, to shorten that up, we're we're here to, not to show you the door. We're here to show you the way to Jesus. Yeah. And, and it kind of goes full circle back to what you were talking about with um, walking in the Spirit. If we're walking with with the Spirit in that, We'll, we'll have a better scope on how do we address these topics. You know, you asked, uh, how are we missing the mark um, as a church when it comes to accountability? You know, I, I think about uh, the accountability uh, for reaching the lost and the accountability for being an example for the lost. Um, you know, there is one command uh, you know, it, it was pretty important because Jesus told it to us right before his ascension, you know, kind of like his last thing to us was uh, in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I think it's really important to make the distinction that that is, uh, that's not a suggestion. That's not something that you should do. Hey, it would be good if you did this. That is a command, go. He didn't say, you know, you should or you should think about. He said, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. We have a responsibility 
to uphold the uh, to uphold the command that Jesus gave to us as as Christians and as believers. And you know, uh, we kind of touched on it earlier about the disconnect between the uh, the congregation and and the preacher, where the lost just aren't getting reached because they're both pointing the finger at the other one thinking that, oh, well, you're going to handle that and you're going to handle It's like, well, and then, and then nobody gets reached, you know, and we, especially, uh, as, as Christians today, we are not, we're not taking on the priesthood mentality that we have a responsibility to reach the lost. We have a responsibility to disciple others and make disciples. We have a responsibility that Jesus tasked us with. And so as the church today, uh, especially with the, the congregation, you know, that they're, they're not taking that responsibility. They're not taking ownership in the calling that God placed on their lives. And make no mistake, every person is called to uphold that commission. What I think is powerful about the commission is it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, here's what we fell on. It says, teaching them to obey. And if we are going and teaching people what it means to obey Jesus, that is instilling that mode of personal accountability. Like, you're teaching them the standard. Right, you right, know? yeah. And, and that's one of the areas that we could do a better job. Absolutely. How do we teach? We, we have taught them about the rule. We haven't taught them about how to obey. Haven't taught them how, how to actually walk in that. And, you know, more than just accepting the task and, you know, actually making that a priority and taking that responsibility on, I, I think as a, as a church, we're really missing the mark in being an example for the lost and, and equipping ourselves to reach those people. We're not, we're not setting ourselves up for success. We're not empowering ourselves by reaching out to the Holy Spirit and, and trying to sharpen ourselves to be effective for His kingdom. Um, you know, uh, it says in, uh, in 2 Timothy uh, 2, 20-22, it says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of the youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Um, so, so we see right here in, in, in this scripture, in this illustration, that, you know, I don't know about you, but but I want to be one of those one of those uh, you know articles that's for a, a special use. You know, I, I want to be you know making myself as useful for the kingdom a, as possible. I want to cleanse myself from my sin. I want to you know remove myself from the flesh as much as possible in my pursuit of the Spirit and by walking by the Spirit, so that I will be you know prepared and equipped to do the good work of the Father that He's called me to do. So I have to sharpen myself. I have to clean myself and, and stay away from the sin so that I can be used in a powerful way so that I set myself up to be a powerful tool for the kingdom. So, And another scripture that I'm reminded of, you know, uh, when, when I think about 
you know, we've talked about walking by the Spirit, removing ourselves from the flesh. We, we've talked about kind of the basics, but we haven't. We've talked about how we're empowered, how to get there, but we may not be specifically talking about, you know, so how exactly is it happening, you know, and in what way are we being empowered? Um, and I'm reminded of another scripture in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that uh, all scripture is God-breathed, amen, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in our reading of the scripture, by studying God's word, by, by spending time in it, by, by taking that, that devotion in God's word, we, we see how it's useful for us and, and, and the specific ways that it, that it equips us for the good work. And um, we, we see that in, in, a, in a couple ways. I love how it lays it out very simple for us with, with four ways here. So number one is by teaching. And so by, by teaching, obviously when, in reading God's Word, we're going to learn more about uh, you know, who God is and His character. So we understand our God better so that we're able to teach others about God and what He's all about and, and what we're supposed to be doing as Christians and the way that He told us to live out our lives as Christians. So one's by teaching. The other is by rebuking. There, There's going to be a lot of false teachers in this world. There's going to be a lot of confusing ideas. There are a lot of confusing ideas out there right now. And, and when we have a foundation in God's Word, we're able to rebuke the ideas that stand against His Word. We're able to, to rebuke those things just like Jesus rebuked the, the devil when he tried to tempt him. The enemy tried to tempt Jesus by using Scripture as a weapon, but he was able to rebuke the, the devil. He was able to rebuke those things. And what did he say every time? It is written. He rebuked the twisting of Scripture with the context Scripture used in the in the right way. So because he had a foundation in the Word of God, and then we see, um, you know, for for correcting and and that's a way that we can kind of correct ourselves. You know, we can use the Word of God to to reflect on our own lives. That's where that self awareness comes in to to see the things in our life that, that need to be changed, that, that need to be adjusted. When, that, when things in our life aren't honoring God, we need to adjust those things. We, I love what you said earlier when you mentioned that people will find a way to say, oh, well, well that's just me. That's just who I am. I, I cannot stand that statement. No, that's not who you are. If, if what you're doing is not honoring God, that's not who you are. You're still a work in progress. We're, we're all still work in progress because we're all in pursuit of being Christ-like. And, you know, that we're, we're all, you know, trying to be more like Christ. So we, we can never just say, well, well, that's just who I am. It, well, if it's not honoring God, then it's not who you're called to be. And that's who you should be striving to be. And when you kind of put all these things together, it, it trains us in righteousness. It, it trains us and equips us so that we can be used for the kingdom in a powerful way. And, you know, when, when I think back to, if we, if we were to do these things, if we were to, to, to preach truth on the uncomfortable subjects and we were to uh, take a, a, a sense of responsibility for reaching the lost and a sense of responsibility in sharpening ourselves to be equipped for that, then we would really do a, a lot better job as, as Christians and as a church body um, by being accountable and being effective in our ministries and in our walks. No, it's solid. You, you had a whole sermon. You better be using this as a sermon. Yeah. So I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. That's good stuff. I think the question now is: is what can we take away? How can we 
how can we wrap this up? We've talked about personal accountability. We've talked about what we see when we look at the world. We've also talked about what it should look like. And now we've talked about how we're missing the mark and what we should be doing in order to get there. So I have a couple of things uh, for the listener to be able to follow up on. These are things that uh, you would be able to do um, practically to kind of ask yourself, how, what, what does my standard of accountability look like? Three things that you can take away from this talk today. Uh, number one, question what your standard is. Look at your life. Look at the things that you are, are doing, the things that you're invested in, and ask yourself, what is the standard of accountability in those areas? Um, where is it based is the second question. Where Where is that standard derived from? Is it a standard that you created? Is it a standard passed down from your family? Um, I think I hear a lot of times people talk about like generational curses and, <laughs> and this is something that my parents did, therefore it's going to be my life. I, I know like with, for example, divorce, that's a big one. Yeah. Parent, and, and statistically, kids who have gone through you know, with parents having divorces, that plays a role into marriage, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. You, you have to ask, what is the standard and where is it derived from? But, but then third and finally, step up to the standard, even if you're doing it alone. Um, if we are calling ourselves Christians, if we're saying that we're truly following Jesus, we could put these three into practice by saying, what is the standard of my living? Is it based upon something I've created or based upon the Word of God? And if I know it needs to be based upon the Word like we've just established, then what am I doing to step up to it, even if it means I'm the only one stepping up to it? And those are three practical ways that you can take this idea of personal accountability and take that responsibility because ultimately we talk about this not for anyone to feel defeated, not for anyone to feel beat down or feel less than, but that we might say, we're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. Next start, next session, we're going to specifically talk about how we can focus in on um, partner accountability, how we can hold others accountable. But if we're not willing to do that ourselves, for, for ourselves to see ourselves be in a better, healthier, happier state, and I would even argue holier state, if we're not willing to hold, have that, that level of personal accountability, how dare we ever think we could help someone else in their level of accountability? So I want to thank you both for taking the time tonight. I know it's been a long session. It's been a good session. I feel like we've talked about a lot, a lot of solid truth, a lot to chew on. Um, but I want to thank you both for taking the time, Bailey and Kennedy, sitting down and talking about this this session of accountability. Um, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your ministry. I'm, I'm thankful for this next session that we're going to be doing here shortly, uh, talking about partnered accountability. So I encourage you, keep an eye out on our, uh, on our podcast, and you'll be able to check that one out coming up here soon. But I want to close this out as I do every single small group podcast, and we're going to pray together. Uh, so I'm going to pray specifically for you, and I'm going to be praying for the listener as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the small group podcast. Let's it was pray. our pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so Father God, I thank you so much uh, for your love for us, for, for your provision of truth, God. 
that whenever it comes to our lives and it comes to the struggles and the things that we're facing, we can look toward the standard of your word and the standard of truth and we can hold fast to it knowing that you are good and you meet us in the midst of maybe even the the lies that we've told ourselves or the things the enemy has, has allowed us to buy into. But God, I just pray right now that you would bless us in the days ahead, that we would stop to analyze God, how, how are we holding ourselves accountable? Are we even holding ourselves accountable by any standard? And Father, if we are, is it by a standard we've created? Is it by our expectations or, or is it by your word and your truth, the standard that you've given us? God, I pray that you would give us a boldness to, to live out what we believe and why we believe it even if it means we're leaving, leading it out alone and, and, and trusting you in that process by ourselves. Father, I thank you for individuals like Bailey and Kennedy who pour into people and, and pour into students to, to see them grow and pursue you more. And Father, I pray that you bless them as they continue to do so. And for that listener right now, Father, who maybe is going through storms and trials, and maybe they've been fighting it all by themselves, and maybe, maybe those storms and trials haven't even, they haven't even been hardships, Father, because in their eyes, they've not looked at them as a storm and a trial. They've looked at them as just life. God, I pray that you would impress upon them a standard of truth based upon your word, that you would bring forth a standard of encouragement, and that they could lean on you, Father, to know who you are, what you've done, and how much you love us. God, help us to pursue you more. Because, Father, that's all we want. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.